So, we can be full of lots of different things. You just heard about the Holy Spirit conference that's coming up. And our theme this year is full. So there's lots of different things that we can be full of. Uh, Things like on Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner, you can find that you're full just to overflowing. You see people and they're on a couch and they're rubbing their belly and they're going, oh, I did eat too much. And there's buttons exploding off of their blouse. And they're trying to find a way to get into some jogging pants, something that will relieve that pressure of being incredibly full. We get what it means to be full when it comes to food. We also get what it means to not actually have enough food when you feel hungry. There's other things that we can be full of. Um, Fear and worry. Have you ever met a person that's just like overflowing with fear and worry? No, 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 you shouldn't go over there. No, no, don't do that. Oh, I've heard about traveling to that country. You don't want to visit there. Oh, put your helmet on. Oh, do you have knee pads? Do you have, and like the whole time you're just going, it's just fear and worry oozing out. Will there be enough money? Will there be food on the table? What if this happens? What if this person gets sick? And you actually hang out with those people, and you're like, ah, just fear. And it's interesting. I noticed this theme in worship this morning about fear has no hold, all of that. But it's funny how we can be so full of fear and worry. One of my favorite things to be full of is joy. (laughs) <laughs> I like it. It's a slow clap. It's like we're at a golf, golf game. But it's one of my favorite things to be full of. Does anyone else enjoy being full of joy? Okay, so how do you get a picture of what it means to be full of joy? I found a video three years ago that Jocelyn posted to her Facebook and anytime I need a joy refill, I will watch this video like a hundred times. So I'm going to play this video for you because this is my favorite thing, favorite video on the internet ever. <laughs> so this is, oh, don't worry, we're going to play it again. But get a picture of what joy looks like from little Jayla three years ago just petting a goat, and she throws her head back, and you can literally just see joy just exploding out of her. Go again. (laughs) Come on, one more time. (laughs) Oh, I'd love it. Because that's what joy looks like, where she just can't even handle it. It's just overflowing with joy. For me personally, I get told I'm full of a lot of things on a regular basis by a lot of people, and some of them I consider friends. 
But can I tell you about the greatest thing that you can be full of this morning? Verse in Scripture, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, says this. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. The greatest thing we can be filled with is the Holy Spirit. Ooh, the Holy Spirit. Or you might hear it where it's like, Holy Spirit! Or sometimes people would say, Holy Spirit? The moment that you say, Holy Spirit, or sometimes you even hear Holy Ghost. It's an old school one, but one of my favorites. But the moment that you bring up Holy Spirit, I know what I'm thinking, but every person in this room might have a different perspective on the Holy Spirit. So why did I say it a couple different ways? Well, because our past experience informs how we relate to the Holy Spirit. So, for example, if somewhere in your past you've had a negative experience with somebody who said that they were full of the Holy Spirit, or you've maybe been in a church where there's teaching that talks about, well, the Holy Spirit, no, that ended with the last apostle, all of a sudden you can approach the Holy Spirit with a lot of, timidity and a bit of like caution, like, whoa, I'm not doing that again. I don't want to end up in that spot. In the same right, you could be in a spot where you hear the Holy Spirit, and you're just like one of these wild, third heaven, fire-breathing, tongue-talking charismatics that's just like, like everything, no limit, unleash all of it. Both can be in this room today. In the same right, you could be here, and you're like, what or who is the Holy Spirit? And you might have no idea. And then there's room for literally everything in between. So I want to talk just for a second and give you a brief history of the Holy Spirit to kind of get us on the same page and then I want to talk about what it actually means and looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. A brief history of the Holy Spirit first. So the Holy Spirit is God. He's part of the Trinity along with God the Father and Jesus. Oftentimes people think, well, Holy Spirit's a New Testament kind of person. But there's this thing in, in, in the study of Scripture, which is the law of first mention. So if you want to study something in the Bible, you go to the first point where it's ever mentioned. That often sets the foundation. And the first time you hear of the Holy Spirit, it's actually in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. He was there at the start. It says that the Spirit of God hovered over the water. 
The earth was formless. No humanity, no animals. And the Holy Spirit was already there. You read through the Old Testament, and time after time you hear a mention of him where he came upon people. You guys all heard of this guy, Samson? Really big, strong guy, would rip uh, gate posts out of cities, killed a whole army with the jawbone of a donkey. But the Holy Spirit would come upon people. Elijah, same thing, prophets, different people. You can trace his fingerprints all through the Old Testament. Then we see him in the New Testament where he descends from heaven onto Jesus at his baptism. So it's like a dove descends from heaven and and actually comes upon Jesus. In John 14, Jesus promises us that he will give us the Holy Spirit. That's his promise. He says, listen, I'm going to be going away, but I'm going to give you something better. He won't just be around you. We won't just be able to see each other like this. He's actually going to be in you. And he's here to help you. He's here to encourage you. He's here to guide you. He's here to lead you. Acts chapter 2, we actually see the fulfillment of that promise when the Holy Spirit is poured out to those gathered in an upper room and tongues of fire appear above their heads and they begin speaking and praying in unknown and new languages, some known languages, which is really wild. And then we see all through the rest of the book of Acts, these believers full of the Holy Spirit begin to radically change civilization and the world as we know it. One of Pastor Bill's favorite verses in the Bible, it it talks about these believers who go to a city, and then it says, and there was great joy in that city. Imagine a whole city full of little jailers just throwing their head back And the whole city's going, this is the best place to live for. That's the picture of what they did and what they brought because they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul and other writers all through the New Testament give teaching and give uh, direction on gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us and what his purpose is. You see it all through Scripture, and and, and this book actually tells us a story of God's interaction with humanity, and the whole time it's telling us the story of the Holy Spirit moving on earth. So listen, if he's been around since Genesis 1 verse 2, and he's been active the whole time through history, I can tell you that he's still alive and active and moving today. It's not like God said, well, we kind of did the apostle thing. Hopefully people make it. I'll just remove the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised. So he's living, he's moving, and he's active today. That's a picture of the Holy Spirit. And you could, on every one of those points, you could actually do full studies So what does it look like to be filled with the Holy Spirit? 
we might have different ideas again on this topic. What does it look like to be filled? So here it is. If you want the best example of what it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you look at Jesus. Absolute, perfectly in sync with the Holy Spirit. He said, I only do what I see my Father doing, and the Holy Spirit's bringing messages, and he just followed what the Holy Spirit led him to do, and he did it perfectly. He sets this standard for what it looks like for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You look at his life, and you look at what he did. So he's the best example. You could debate on this one. I'm going to say the second best example is a guy named Stephen. Second best example. So what I love about Stephen, it's, it's sometimes easy if we say, well, Jesus is a standard, and you're like, yes. But he's also, like, he was the son of God, and I don't get how he was, like, fully God and fully man. So it can be a little bit hard for us to wrap our head around the reality of I could actually measure up to the standard of Jesus. It can be tough. But what I love about Stephen is that he shows us it's actually possible. It's not just left to some theory or some unattainable standard. He actually shows us through his life and his example what it means for he was the same as us, no different. And he was full of the Holy Spirit. So let's look at Stephen's life. We first find mention of him in Acts chapter 6. Uh, in the church, there was a problem with some widows being fed, and the apostles said, listen, we need to find seven men to help with this situation. And, and this was the criteria that they looked for. We want seven men who are well-respected and are full of the Spirit and wisdom. Well-respected, full of the Spirit and wisdom. So Stephen is one of these seven men. What a great way to be described, isn't that? Well-respected, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Two other times in the next six verses, Stephen is also referred to as full. Verse 5 again describes Stephen as a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit. Verse 8 reads, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power. Now, you don't find many times in Scripture where somebody is described the exact same way three times in a row in a matter of seven or eight verses. This is significant because this is the quality that Stephen, it was just obvious, obviously full of the Holy Spirit. It's so, you can't read about Stephen and go, I don't know, uh, was he even filled? I don't know. It's, it's so blatantly out front. He was full of the Holy Spirit. So what did it look like in his life to be filled with the Holy Spirit? It, 
looked like Jesus. This is, if you don't hear anything else, this is it this morning. A life full of the Holy Spirit will always look like the life of Jesus. That's the byproduct of being full of the Holy Spirit. You look like Jesus. So I realize if you're going to study a person's life, you can hit a lot of different areas. I want to look at three quickly this morning. But there's a few other interesting things just to make note of for Stephen before we get to this. The first is that he was just in church. If you want to be full of the Holy Spirit, be around other people that are full of the Holy Spirit. Some people go, ah, I'm not sure if I need church anymore. And then you meet them three months later, and you're like, wow, it looks like you haven't had a drink of water in about 100 years. And they're all dried out. Hang around with the people that you want to look like. The other neat thing is he, he was just serving in church. If you want to start moving in the Holy Spirit, moving in his gifts, just start serving in church. Oh, and it's not just on the platform. <laughs> There's spirit-led ushers out there. You think the greeter at the door doesn't need to be full of the Holy Spirit? The best part of serving always, one of the best, I should say, is that the moment you start serving in God's church, he just has to talk to you because he cares about what you're doing. So you literally, by serving, put yourself in a crash course for God to be interacting in your life on a regular basis. doesn't matter where you serve. God's concerned about his church, so he's going to talk to you. And then you look at that character part. He's well-respected. What would your coworkers say about you? Oh, no, don't, I don't want to ask that. <laughs> but what's that word over your life? Well-respected is a great one to go for. There's these qualities that in a spirit-filled life you begin to see that are admirable, that you're looking for. Three areas that we want to look at specifically. The first one is miracles. The second half of verse 8 says that Stephen performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. Performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. So the parallels here to the life of Jesus are pretty obvious. If you've ever read through the Gospels even one time, you know that there's just miracles everywhere Jesus went. And not just miracles, but you can see all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit active in Jesus' life. He sits down beside a woman at a well and just says, oh, here's your whole story. You've had five husbands, and the guy you're with right now isn't actually your husband. Jesus was just moving in a word of knowledge. Everything that you see in Jesus is actually, or in Jesus' ministry, flows out of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus' life was marked by heaven coming down and touching and changing and transforming earth to look more like heaven all the time. But what's interesting about uh, Jesus' ministry is that he actually didn't start into it. He didn't perform any miracles. None of this happened until his baptism, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of things that happen 
after that point, but we actually don't see him start his ministry apart from being full of the Holy Spirit. What an interesting thing, hey? There's plenty of things that we can do without the Holy Spirit, but there's a ton of stuff we can't do apart from the Holy Spirit. So uh, this Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus and empowered Stephen is the same Holy Spirit that empowers us. So let's talk just for a moment about gifts of the Holy Spirit. Again, this is like a whole other three-month series, and there's whole books written on it. But we see Jesus moving in them, and we see Stephen moving in them. So throughout the New Testament, in chapters like Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and a handful of other places, we find mention of gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us. So there would be things like healing and prophecy, gifts of a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, and a, a bunch more. All things that we can't do apart from the Holy Spirit. They're gifts that are given so that we can actually help others. They're gifts that are given so that we can actually build God's kingdom. And they're actually gifts that are given to each of us. You have a gift. Pastor Bill has been doing, I don't know if you've seen them on Instagram, Facebook, or there's a link in the email that we send out every week. He's just been doing some uh, really helpful one-minute videos about the Holy Spirit. And this last week, he just talked about gifts of the Holy Spirit. So if you haven't caught it, make sure you watch that. Now, I know that when we talk about gifts of the Holy Spirit, to some of you, this stuff might seem weird or it might be stuff that you don't feel comfortable with. And that's okay. If you look through church history, man, there's been some excesses in some different areas and things that have been handled incredibly poorly. Do you know why that happens? It's because God gave his gifts to people. And every time we touch something, something goes wrong. But that doesn't mean that we just begin to chuck those gifts out either. The other interesting thing with the gifts of the Holy Spirit is that we can't just cherry pick the gifts that we like and that we're safe with and comfortable with. People would go, oh, healing, definitely I see the need for that. Oh, but that gift of tongues, that's weird. So can you have one but reject the other? It's like saying to a person, you know, I really like your right hand, but can we just cut that left hand off? There's other things. Like people are like, oh, I love it when uh, somebody special guest comes and they give me a word of prophecy, shapes my whole year. And there's like another gift, like discerning of spirits, where people are like, I don't know, there's more than one kind of spirit and you need to figure out what it, I don't know if I like that, that makes me feel weird, I don't want that, but let's keep the prophecy thing going over here. Holy Spirit if you read through the Bible, he does some weird stuff. It's true. 
But if we want the Holy Spirit, we can't just take part of him or areas that we like. We either take it all or the alternative. So, this whole month we're focusing in on the Holy Spirit and we're creating opportunity to talk about this stuff. So, regardless of your history, your background, if you've got questions or there's stuff that you're like, what is this? Hey, there's folks on the front row, pastors, we'd love to chat with you. So don't just sit there and go, ah, I don't like this. Let's talk about it. we got a whole month that we're focusing in on the Holy Spirit. The next area I want to look at in Stephen's life comes out when he faces persecution. Just like it is for us, what Stephen was full of came out when he was under pressure. What's inside of us will always overflow, overflow when we're pressed down, when we're compressed. So what came out of Stephen? The Word of God. So you read at the end of chapter 6, we find that Stephen's accused of blasphemy. People just made up lies where they said, oh, he's been saying that oh, this um, law of Moses, you don't need to follow it anymore, and uh, Jesus is going to destroy the temple and our culture, and so then, all of a sudden, Stephen finds himself in front of a, a court. And he's got to answer these accusations. So it's a lengthy, it's basically all of chapter 7, the response. But he starts with, brothers and fathers, listen to me. He then proceeds to trace the history of God's interaction with humanity, starting with Abraham Isaac and Jacob through to Joseph and Moses to David and Solomon. And all through that, he's talking about how their ancestors, even when God would send prophets, they wouldn't listen to them. They would just turn away. He quotes uh, passages from Scripture that we still have today from the prophet Amos, the prophet Isaiah. And it's wild how much detail and historical content he weaves through this chapter. It's, it's, it's unbelievable just to recall it. And he closes his sermon with these words in verse 51. I'm so glad I was in a Pharisee on the receiving end of this. You stubborn people, you are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah who you betrayed and murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's laws, even though you received it from the hands of angels. He's basically saying, you're so thick-headed, and you just won't ever listen. Your ancestors didn't learn, and neither have you. So I'd love to read the whole chapter. It's just too long. But here's what I want you to catch out of one of the best historical sermons of all time. So when a grape is pressed down... What do you get out of the grape? 
You get grape juice. Some of you, it's so funny when you're preaching and you ask a question, like, if you push a grape down, what do you get? And instantly you can see people go like, I don't want to get tricked, man. It should be juice, but I feel like the preacher is going to get me. Okay, second one. If you press an olive, what do you get? You get olive oil. It's delicious. Cooking. So when Stephen is crushed and pressed and broken down, what comes out of him? The Word of God. What was inside of him when he's pushed and crushed comes out. What's inside of you is always going to come out under pressure. It's the same thing that we find with Jesus over and over. After he's filled with the Holy Spirit, he's led into the wilderness for 40 days, and the devil tempts him. The devil says things like, why don't you jump off of this uh, high point? The Bible says angels will come and save you. Do you remember Jesus' response? All he does is quote Scripture back on every one of the devil's temptations. All through the story of Jesus, you just see Scripture oozing out of every pore. One of my favorite Jesus stories, he goes to a temple and he opens a scroll and he reads it. And then he says, this is fulfilled right here today, a prophecy. What a bad day to miss church, hey? So, a life full of the Holy Spirit will also be full of the Bible and the Word of God. Just so you know, this is what the Holy Spirit's voice sounds like. He's not going to, like, be contrary to it. He's not going to tell you things that aren't in here. His voice sounds consistent. It has since Genesis uh, 1, verse 2, up to and including today and for all of eternity. So if you want to know how to hear from God, open this. It's actually literally any page is what God's saying. You might think, well, I don't get a lot out of my Bible reading. Well, you can also pick, start in the Gospels if you don't. Get a ton and just start to look at the life of Jesus. But, man, there's people who are like, the book of Numbers is terrible. The book of Numbers is actually awesome because it tells you how concerned God is with family and legacy and history. It's all in here. Start with somewhere where it's easy stories to read. And don't jump into Revelation where there's dragons and women in baskets and weird things. Start with something where you kind of learn his voice first and then get to the more complicated stuff. Last area I want to look at is summed up in one word, love. So after Stephen's sermon and scathing conclusion. We read the fallout starting in verse 54. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusations, and they shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, there's that phrase again, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God 
and he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. As I said earlier, what's inside of us comes out under pressure. So as Stephen is dragged out of the city, and as stones, literal rocks, begin to collide with his body, breaking ribs, breaking bones, bruising, what comes out of him? Is it anger? Is it wrath? Is it condemnation? Is it, oh, you, you better not do this. You're going to find out who my dad is. There's none of this coming out of his life, coming out of his mouth. With his eyes lifted up to heaven, he just prays and goes, God, receive my spirit. More rocks collide. Losing strength, he just falls to his knees. And with his last words, he says, Lord, forgive them. They, they don't know what they're doing. A few questions for us to ponder this morning. How quick am I to forgive others when I'm wronged? How am I doing with Jesus' command to love my enemies? Is being right more important than being in relationship? And I could keep listing questions. Stephen is killed over a false accusation, but full of the Holy Spirit with his last breath, he echoes the words of Jesus as he's hanging on a cross. Forgive them. <laughs> Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. A life full of the Holy Spirit is always, always, always going to be a life that looks like Jesus. And the one thing you see consistently through the life of Jesus is love. Even when, oh, it's not justified or it's not fair, he just loved. Um. 
I recently got my hair cut. And my hairdresser is one of my really good friends. But let me tell you the story of how I met my hairdresser. I was asked to be on a panel at another church uh, as this single guy. I'm good at this role. On a, like a love, sex, and dating panel. And I was supposed to impart all of my wisdom on this topic to young adults. And um, I'm on this panel, and there was this girl actually there that I was interested in, and we'd hung out a few times. And while uh, I'm on this panel, whoever is hosting the panel said, oh, by the way, um, mentions this girl's name, uh, your boyfriend's here in the back. And I was thinking... Well, have I been duped? Because, I mean, I thought things were going kind of well. So instantly I'm thinking, well, who's the stupid loser in the back that's apparently the boyfriend of this chick that I'm pretty keen on? And I'm on this panel, so I've got to have a good attitude. And instantly I'm like, all right, let's find this guy. Yeah. So at the end of this panel, um, they say, listen, we want to have the folks up here, if you need prayer for anything. They kept it super general, just so it wouldn't be intrusive. You know, like there's those awkward altar calls that really seem to expose too much. They didn't do that one. It just said, listen, if you'd like prayer for any area, so well done, then come up to the front. So who comes up to the front? This crooked guy named Levi. <laughs> Levi the hustler. And I looked at him, and I thought, his clothes aren't very good. I think I'm better looking. You know, as we do, we just do the little quick comparison and think, ah, what's she seeing, this guy? And I thought, well, all right. And God said, um, I want you to go pray for that guy. And I thought, well, I don't want to at all. I don't like that guy. I don't even know him. I don't care to know him. What I do know about him, I like even less. But in that moment, I had that choice of actually going, I feel I've been wronged, whether it was by this girl or him. It didn't matter. But I had this choice to deal with my own heart. Am I going to just be right and be stubborn and dig my heels in? Or am I actually going to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit to go and love someone that I have reason to dislike? So I went and prayed for him. And it's amazing when you start to pray for someone that you don't like, how God begins to turn your heart towards that person. Now we've been friends for 
probably close to, I don't know, coming up on 10 years. It's been cutting my hair ever since. And I love him like crazy. One of my good friends. And uh, for me, that was one of those points where I had to make that choice to love, to follow Christ when in me, I didn't want to. So listen, this morning we got three areas that we just mentioned. And I want you to look at this list because we don't just want to talk in church and then you go, oh, that was funny about the hairdresser and the girl that two-timed the guys. No, no, no. We actually want to take something away from church, right? So these three areas, miracles, we'll call area one. Word of God, we'll call area two. And love, we'll call area three. So for you, in the next seven days between now and next Sunday, I want you to ponder and go, which area do I need to grow in? So maybe you're here and you're like, this whole area of like gifts of the Holy Spirit, it's kind of freaked me out and I've been avoiding it. Maybe Holy Spirit's kind of drawing out of you. Hey, why don't you start exploring? In 1 Corinthians, it talks about eagerly desiring the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Which gift are you desiring? Have you ever thought about that? Area two, maybe your Bible is incredibly dusty. Maybe you haven't cracked it. Oh, by the way, that's not condemnation on you. There's just a lot of life in here. It's good for you. So don't take it as guilt. But is this an area where maybe you've kind of gotten out of tune with the voice of the Holy Spirit and it's time to tune back in? Or the third one, are there relationships in your life that you've been putting off making right? Are there people you need to go and ask forgiveness from? Are there uh, family members that, man, you haven't talked to in years. All of this is stuff we find in here. It's stuff we find in the life of Stephen. It's stuff we find in the life of Jesus. And this is what a spirit-filled life looks like. The worst thing is when a person says, oh, I'm so full of the Holy Spirit, and they look nothing like Jesus. Run to the hills from that person. So we can grow in this. So I've been talking. I've been explaining. So let's put some boots to this. Where are my number ones at this week? Raise your hand. Number one, you want to grow miracles, gifts of the Holy Spirit. Just this week, it's not a lifetime commitment. Okay, cool. Where are my number twos at? You need to dust off your Bible, maybe crack into it a bit more. Whoa. Okay, cool. Number three, you got some relationship stuff, some areas of love to get sorted out. Okay. So there's no way I can, some people put their hand up for all three. <laughs> hey, that's good. Grow. But uh, I can't possibly remember what everyone put their hands up for. But we've made a little, little bit of a stake in the ground on this area. So now just apply a little, bit of, a little bit of thought. What can I do to grow in this? 
Last week, Elmer talked about he goes to an exercise group, and there's some sick people, and then they just pray for them. He's exercising a gift of healing right there. He's loving people. This isn't hard. It's not something they have to, like, rev up for. I've got to do this. Life is going to collide with yours, and when you're full of the Holy Spirit, you've got not a lack of resource to deal with the situations that come your way. Add a little boldness, a little courage, and a little understanding that actually we're just responsible for obedience, and God's responsible for the results.